Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where we all together are working through the difficulties we're facing with the financial fallout from coronavirus and the necessary steps we're having to take in much of the country to isolate, to reduce the spread of coronavirus. And before I get into the nuts and bolts of the money that I'm getting so many questions about, I wanted to give you one very hopeful thing. I don't know if you're aware, but there is a thermometer that is in a lot of people's households that connects to the internet and keeps records. And the people who own that system, which I can tell you more about some other time, but I just want to give the lightest detail here, have been able to track the number of people with fevers. And the number around the country has been going down the more we have been isolating, staying in our own homes, quarantining, isolating, distancing, whatever you want to call it. And so this is very, very positive for where we're going with the number of infections after we peak in the next few weeks, that we're going to have a better story for our health and our country coming later in the month of April because of the steps that we've taken isolating at home or quarantining at home or whatever you want to call it, that it has had a direct benefit for people's health and ultimately a quicker recovery for the United States economy. On that score, I want to give you, and I will continue to do so because of the number of questions we're getting posted every day at clark.com slash ask about financial assistance available. I'm going to continue to give you updates as more and more information is available. So the SBA is charged with implementing the new loan program being referred to as the Paycheck Protection Program is the name that ultimately has been settled on. And under the Paycheck Protection Program, small businesses are able to apply for a loan with either a bank or credit union that was either already an existing participant in the SBA lending program or becomes one as part of this emergency effort to get money in the hands of businesses. Now, I don't want to sugarcoat this. The application process can be a bit of a hassle. The documentation you have to provide may seem mind-numbing at points. And the ability for banks and credit unions who have minimal experience with the SBA program to ramp up processing applications is going to be uh, truly a period of frustration followed by relief as bank accounts fund for small businesses. You've got to stay the course. If you go to sba.gov right now, there is just the smallest amount of detail there at this point because basically it's just a placeholder explaining the most general terms that you've already heard from me, which is that if you as a business maintain your employees for 60 days from when your loan funds, that that 60 days of payroll will be forgiven. Your rent will be forgiven for those 60 days. So that portion 
of the money you borrow will not have to be paid back. There are expenses in originating this loan. If you do a what's now being called the Paycheck Protection Program loan, you will have to pay typically 5% of the amount of money you borrow in a fee that will typically go to the bank or credit union. In addition, there are many people who will feel overwhelmed, overpowered by the process of the application, and you can hire a third-party SBA loan specialist. These are people who make a living just doing applications for businesses. The money you pay them is money you will not recoup. So the fee you pay to originate the loan, you won't recoup, typically 5%. And the fee you'll pay to somebody to shepherd your application for you, that's money that will go out the door you will not get back. In addition, money you borrow that is in excess of what your payroll cost would be for the 60 days. Remember, you have to restore essentially full payroll for that period of time. And for your rent, or if you own your own building for your business, it can be the mortgage that you paid for that, that those expenses are forgiven when properly documented. Now, there are others who are not specifically interested in having the loan forgiveness aspect of this and just need operating capital for your business. You may not have any number of employees or whatever, and so your goal is to get money in the house as quickly as you can to operate your business. So there's a separate SBA program that if you go to sba.gov, and you will see the thing where you see the tiny briefing on the Paycheck Protection Program. Then you'll see a tiny blue highlight, Apply for Disaster Assistance, which is a separate loan that all of us in the United States, the small business owners, are eligible to do the disaster assistance loan. For my company, I don't actually need to borrow money to get through this rough time. But I went ahead and did the application, everything except the final click to submit to see how long it would take to do the disaster assistance loan application. And the initial application, including time I had to go dig up some, uh, some numbers that I needed for it, took me a grand total of nine minutes. What government form could you ever fill out in nine minutes. So this is really streamlined. And then let me tell you what happens. So you then click to submit, and then it goes into the ether somewhere at the SBA till someone will contact you from the SBA about your application for disaster assistance. I forgot to say, if you do the Paycheck Protection Plan and you don't qualify for any forgiveness on it, your interest rate ends up being 4% on that loan, a very low interest rate on the loan, and then, of course, the loan would have to be paid back. On the loans that I'm talking about, the disaster assistance loan, the loan for it is at a rate of 3.75%. So the loan interest rates are really very, very similar. 
One other thing I wanted to tell you, if you already have existing outstanding SBA loans, go read the new briefing at sba.gov because certain obligations you had under that loan will now be in part reduced. And so you need to know that is you're facing an April payment on an existing SBA loan. You may have some amount of assistance available on the existing loan that makes it easier for you to deal with the obligations you have on it and the unpaid balance for it. Now, we're taking your questions in an unusual way during the coronavirus emergency. I would ask you please to post your questions at clark.com slash ask. And then instead of you speaking with me directly, producers Kim and Joel are alternating asking your questions for you because the number of questions we're getting are so much higher volume than normal. And we're trying to address as many different topics concerning the economic fallout from coronavirus as we can. So, Kim, who do you have first? Hey, Clark. Well, if you don't mind, I want to revisit your segment. You did a great job explaining it, but it's so complicated that I just wanted to make sure that I even understand what you just said. The disaster assistant loan, is that also forgivable? So we really got lost in the details of the weeds here. But as a general rule, if you do the disaster loan, the $10,000 advance that you can ask for is actually forgiven. It does not have to be repaid. The entire remainder of the loan has to be repaid and does not apply for you being able to cover payroll for 60 days or the money for rent or mortgage. It would be applied for in the other program, the Paycheck Protection Program. That was crystal clear. Thank you, Clark. All right. So first questions up. Uh, this is James and Mordecai both have pretty much the same question. They've both been unemployed for a couple of months now and their state benefits are about to run out. Does the CARE Act extend their benefits? Yes. For an additional 13 weeks in most states. So it was a special provision of the third stimulus bill that unemployment in most states would have a 13 week extension. And so as soon as the unemployment benefit runs out, you reapply for the additional 13 weeks. It also will trigger eligibility for the supplemental federal money, which is actually larger in almost all cases than normal state unemployment of $600 a week for potentially up to 17 weeks. Joel? Clark Claudio wrote in, he said, we got approved to buy a new house. It'll be ready in September. But will the house lose value before the final closing in September? And if yes, will the builder adjust that price? And should I still even go through with buying this house? That's a lot of unknowns. And there's a new report that came out just uh, about an hour and a half ago that the sales of lumber for construction have fallen off a cliff that even though in a lot of the United States construction activity has been looked at as an essential activity and has been free to continue, as a practical matter, construction activity has slowed down because builders are uncertain whether buyers will get cold feet and say, hey, this isn't my time to go forward. In the world we're living in right now, where if you 
think about this mentally, we're processing weeks like they're months. When you think about September, September is an eternity from today. So uh, basically five months away, and it's too early to say how the real estate trends are going to play. I'm expecting the spring real estate selling season to be a slow motion disaster. There will still be people that go forward with purchases. There will still be closings that occur. I know somebody had a closing yesterday. But overall, the real estate market is in kind of like a timeout, but nothing like after the banking scandals that unfolded in 7, 8, and 9 and led to all the foreclosures and all that. This is a different circumstance because there is nothing inherently wrong with the housing market. It is because of a national well, international health emergency. So once this clears, the housing market should stabilize. But it's way too early for me to make any predictions about what would happen with a house that you're expecting to close on in September. As we continue taking your questions on the Clark Howard Show, producers Kim and Joel are alternating, asking the questions you posted at clark.com slash ask. Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Paprice. What a lovely and unusual name. Paprice. Due to COVID-19, I lost my job. I requested assistance from my mortgage company, and I was informed that the mortgage company would suspend the monthly payments for three months. However, on the fourth month, I have to pay a lump sum. How is this possible? Is this in line with COVID-19 assistance programs? No, this is banking stupidity and garbage. (laughs) And we're going to hear a lot of this from the lameness of some banks. So don't worry so much about you being told something that idiotic. And it's going to take a while for the lumbering, giant, inefficient bureaucracies at the banks to pivot to common sense. Now, with the housing assistance that's going to occur, the likeliest outcome is going to be where months that have gone unpaid will be added to the end of a loan. So it will be not a payment holiday for you, essentially, you're still going to have to make the payments. But saying to people who've been out of work that, yeah, we're going to let you avoid payments for 90 days, and then you're going to owe on the 91st day four months of payments all at once when you haven't been working is just lunacy. So let them say that stuff, but it's not how it's going to play. Over the next few weeks, watch the website of your mortgage lender and see as they update their policies. And most mortgage loans behind the curtain are underwritten by the federal government various ways. And the assistance is more clear under the federal guidelines that the banks ultimately will adopt. Joel? Clark Neal says, if my child was 17 in 2019 and turned 18 years old this in 2020, do I receive $500 for her from the coronavirus stimulus distribution? I filed my taxes already and received my $13. Unfortunately, you will not get money for your teenager. So once your teenager goes past 16, 
they're out of the picture for the 500 bucks. You'll get, as long as you're income eligible, you'll get your 1200 If you're married, your spouse will also get 1200 So it'd be 2400 coming into your household. This also uh, does not pay for senior citizens that are dependents of maybe their adult children. Only kids up to 16 are eligible for the 500 bucks. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show with continuing coverage for your wallet involving coronavirus. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, are both working very hard to serve you through this time of disruption and dislocation. And are we seeing both? I mean, it's absolutely unreal when I think about how different our lives are inside my household. And here I am now in my fourth week of quarantine that's gotten tighter and tighter over the four weeks and now never walking in any store, doing everything by either delivery or doing things with going to pick up at, you know, the designated pickup areas. And it's all about creating a safe zone for those of us who can do that. But Do you know only somewhere, depending on how it's counted, somewhere around a quarter to a third of Americans can work remotely? So think about that. That's nearly, if you average those two, nearly three quarters of Americans, if they're going to work, they've got to have proximity to other people and be out and about. And that creates danger. And I think about how upset workers have been who work for Amazon, who work for Amazon's Whole Foods operation, who work for Instacart, um, and any of a number of places that are actually booming while other retail has gone into hibernation. So you've got the grocery stores, the drug stores, the warehouse clubs, and then the big general online sellers, which two cross over Target and Walmart that are both store and online with big distribution efforts going on. And these workers are afraid. And they should be, right? Because they're working close to other people where the contagion can spread. And I saw a story in... Um, one of the European newspapers, it was funny, they wrote about this, I'm trying to remember which one I read it in, that one in four people who work at American retailers that are open right now, you know, the general merchandise, grocery store, that kind of thing, one in four are older than 55. So as we know, the risk as you age, and particularly as you move to the back end of middle age and older, the risk of complications from coronavirus and possible death go up steadily as somebody gets older, particularly if you lay a pre-existing condition on top. So then you got retailers, many of whom are tone deaf and not providing precautions. If you believe the Amazon workers who are upset beyond measure that Amazon has totally dropped the ball and left its workers heavily exposed to illness and possible death. This is ugly stuff that's going on at Amazon. It's why 
it's not a formal strike, but Amazon apparently is having absenteeism as high as 50% in its warehouses right now because people are so afraid and upset that one of the things that I read that Amazon workers are loading antiseptic products to ship to people but aren't being supplied any for themselves. No gloves, no masks, no antibacterial anything for the workers. If this is true, that is scandalous. And Jeff Bezos should be ashamed of himself. World's richest man stomping on his own people. Inexcusable. Now, Walmart, which had always been a big um, a big target for people to talk trash about, Walmart has gone to this system that's fully implementing, I think, tomorrow with the first shift, where every worker, when they report, will have their temperature taken. And if they're showing any fever at all, they're sent away to get medical care. And they're ge- being given protective gear systematically starting tomorrow. And this is the kind of thing that should be going on. You know, the Instacart workers, you can't blame them for being worried. And these people are on the front lines and hero is an overused word, but it is a heroic activity for people to see that the rest of us have food to eat, and supplies to provide for our lives and at the same time are putting themselves in harm's way. So we've got to do better as a country. We've got to do better for our medical personnel and make sure they have the protective gear that they need. And slowly we're getting there with that, but it never should have come to this, that so many medical professionals would be at risk for their health or lives because we didn't have basic protective gear for them We need to make sure now that people who work in warehousing, distribution, and retail have that same gear. I wanted to say something about truck drivers. You know, the movement of trucks right now is up. So many things are moving around in abnormal distribution systems. And these truckers are working extra hours. They've got to be exhausted. And rules that normally limit the number of hours that a driver can drive have been temporarily lifted because of the coronavirus. And I'm just so grateful to these truckers and everyone else working in distribution, retail, and warehousing that's keeping things going so that we do have the supplies we need. With that having been said, Kim, Let's go to our next question that someone has posted at clark.com slash ask. This is from Suzanne, and it's along those lines. She says that she keeps getting emails and advertisements for big sales, clothing, and stuff like that. But she's hesitant to purchase any non-essential items because of the stress and potential illness risk for warehouse workers and delivery drivers. What do you think? This is a tough conundrum. Let's take Macy's. Macy's has a small online operation but is principally a physical retailer has laid off pretty much everybody 
except a very small number of people who work in the online operation. So I don't know how to balance this because if you do order an online order for clothing and it's, uh, it's packaged, fulfilled, and shipped to you, you are helping with employment. But at the same time, is that employment employment that should be safe? I read a story the other day about a company called The Real Real, which has two warehouses in New Jersey. And it's a seller of used goods that are high-end designer things for women. And they had these two warehouses operating in an area where only essential activity was supposed to take place because of the enormous problem with coronavirus in the tri-state area, New Jersey, Connecticut, New York. And is it actually good that these people are continuing to be able to work and receive money, or is it bad because they can't properly social distance in a fulfillment warehouse? And I just don't know the answer to that. I would say clothing sales collapsed, which meant that we as Americans probably had enough fashion in our closets to last us a while and there will be plenty of time when this is over for us to shop again joel clark victoria wrote in she says i'm a retired teacher i have twenty-five thousand dollars in a traditional ira i also have additional funds in a long-term retirement account my question is should i convert my twenty-five thousand dollars in the ira to a roth at this time if you can afford to pay the tax and your IRA got really beaten up, yes. Now, as a retiree, be careful that you, if you converted too much, if it would put you into a higher tax bracket that would end up costing you money that you had not expected, kind of like a blindside. But there's an enormous advantage right now converting traditional IRAs to Roths because of the declines the stock market has suffered, it's going to cost you a lot less to do that conversion. But remember, it only works if you have money available that you can afford to spend for the tax bill you'll owe for doing that conversion. Kim? Marco says, I have been part of a large company layoff due to the coronavirus, and they will be filing unemployment for me. Am I allowed to pick up part-time contract 1099 work in the meantime? Normally, the answer to that in most states would be no, but in this case, it seems to be a yes, that you can receive what would normally not be true, partial unemployment compensation. So your unemployment would be affected by you picking up some part-time work. And as to how that's going to be implemented, we're still waiting for the... Uh, guidance from the U.S. Department of Labor that has to issue guidance and following that regulations, but they're not going to get to the regulatory stage before they've already gotten the states paying money. So this is the kind of thing that there's question marks exactly how that's going to work, but this is an unusual time where people will still be able to maintain status for some amount of unemployment compensation and still have some level of part-time work and how that's going to play we got to wait for at least the first phase of guidelines it may take past that to be able to answer that definitively joel clark laronica says clark i'm a cosmetologist and i've been in this field for 26 years 
how do I go about getting assistance? It's been really hard for my business during this shutdown. So I'm, I'm really, really sorry. And this is the kind of thing that who would have imagined that a health emergency would destroy somebody's ability to earn a living cutting and styling hair. So if you rent a booth from someone and you have demonstrable income that you had prior to coronavirus, you will have no difficulty establishing with your state unemployment office eligibility under the, the new coronavirus rules for unemployment. And so that money will come in two parts. What your state would normally pay but might deny you as a stylist and the federal money, which is the $600 a week, it will continue for four months. Kim? David says, Clark, can I ask for a refund for my money from a cruise line? They canceled the cruise and they're telling me we can only reschedule. So the cruise line generally owes you the refund if the cruise was canceled, not by you, but by them. The cruise lines were purposely left out of the third uh, stimulus bill or law at this point. And so the cruise lines are hanging on for dear life. And so they, even though a refund should come to you, they are not willingly making refunds. If you book through a cruise-only agency or a travel agency that booked the cruise for you, you want to consult with the agency and see if they've been able to have success getting refunds for people at all. Um, there were refunds being made by cruise lines as recently as a week ago, and they were giving you a choice between getting a refund or having additional credit towards a future date. They didn't realize they were going to be cut out of the stimulus money and now the cruise lines are like, uh-oh, we got no money coming in, we got all these expenses, and they've become very hard to deal with as a result. And I'm watching this along with our travel expert, Clara, who works at Clark.com, and we're trying to give updates as we can, both for airline refunds and for cruise line refunds, what seems to be happening with each individual travel supplier right now. We continue answering your questions on the Clark Howard Show with Joel and Kim asking your questions for you that you posted at clark.com slash ask. And before I go to you, Joel, I just wanted to say I appreciate so much the questions you're posting and what we're trying to do because we're getting so many thousands of questions is we're trying to look for representative ones that fit the circumstances generally of many people to give as much useful direct advice as we can. And Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark, this one's from Connor. He says, I've heard rumors that the Federal Reserve is printing more money to ease the impact of this pandemic. I know you don't particularly advocate for having a large chunk of your capital in precious metals or cryptocurrencies, but how would one prepare for a significant inflation event like this, assuming those rumors are true? So the Federal Reserve and other central banks are going to essentially 
create money out of thin air as needed to forestall a Great Depression in the world from coronavirus. It's something that they all learned the hard lessons in our country from our three prior depressions, the two in the 1800s and the one in the 1930s. They've learned that this is a necessary step as to whether this will generate severe inflation, galloping inflation, hyperinflation, I'm unconvinced because we have a lack of activity in the economy right now, not extreme activity. Generally, even with this overhang of additional money in the marketplace, it is not likely to lead to a significant inflation problem. At the same time, people are doing what they always do when they're looking for a safe harbor in uncertain times, they go buy precious metals. And gold and silver and other precious metals are where people have found comfort right now. Remember, though, that's not an investment. That's a hedge for a portion of your money. Cryptocurrencies are going to prove to be an ineffective vehicle because of the instability that has continued with cryptocurrencies. Kim? William says, I've been looking for a new truck and I was wondering if this would be a good time to buy one or should I wait till the pandemic's over? Are dealerships even open right now? I'm going to talk in depth later this week about what's going on with the vehicle market and strategies for purchasing. But in short, the deals being offered right now are better and better because vehicle buying activity has, depending on where you live in the United States, has slowed a meaningful amount or collapsed. So it means there's a lot of overhang of unsold inventory. Dealers need that revenue. And so there are deals and there are safe ways that vehicles are being delivered to people. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And we're in a mode right now that calls for a lot of juggling. You know, we have bills that are coming due for many people tomorrow on April Fool's Day. No funny jokes going on right now. This is a rough, rough thing with the Congress passing the third coronavirus bill on Friday and a lot of provisions in it that require guidance and regulations to be issued, procedures to be put in place. And we need that money right now, but the money's going to come in weeks, not now. So what do you do with a new month tomorrow and bills you've got to pay? This is a true juggler's routine here. So psychologically, a lot of people feel a giant weight on themselves with rent or mortgages due on the first. So let's deal with practicalities. If you don't have the money to pay your rent or mortgage tomorrow, what in the world is your landlord or bank going to do anyway? With mortgages, you've got some play there, generally depending on your lender, 
you have till the 14th or 15th till you're even really considered to be delinquent anyway. So you bought a little time right there. Renters, different circumstance. Most leases start hitting you over the head on the 5th or 6th of the month. But the thing is, we don't know exactly how quickly states are going to be able to crank out the unemployment compensation. And so I'm hoping that by the time mortgages would be due, that there will be some unemployment compensation in people's hands in many of the states. As far as rent, that's not going to happen by the 5th or 6th. But landlords are going to have to be flexible with you, with your landlord, with your mortgage company, communicate early and often. Even if you're telling them what they don't want to hear, and even if they give you back a hard-hearted answer, you need to stay in communication. With banks, the answers people are getting are really ad hoc and not clear. If you've got an auto loan, credit card, personal loan, home equity line of credit, any bills you have with banks, you're going to need to take thorough notes when you communicate on chat, which is my favorite, or by phone, which is not my favorite, and know the answers are moving targets. Go to financial institution websites and look at what they are saying in their continual updated postings on what accommodations they're offering for different kinds of loans. When you find something that fits your circumstance that you would like to use, print that out if you have a printer. Otherwise, take a picture of that with your phone so you have that kind of documentation. Know that we are going to have situations that the answers continually change and our circumstances change. Be flexible and be kind to yourself and hold your temper in check when you're talking to people at places you're trying to get help from. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. I want to talk to you about something that was inevitable, and that is with all the talk of various stimulus checks and money coming to consumers and businesses, the scamsters came out of the woodwork this past weekend. I need for you to know that you've got to be on your guard because of how much con game kind of activity is going to go on. One that the FBI put out a warning about yesterday is scammers sending fake emails that look exactly like they're from the IRS. And it talks about how you need to provide information to the IRS in order for them to deposit money in your account for the, uh, for the helicopter money, the 1200 bucks of helicopter money per adult, $500 per dependent if you have a qualifying dependent. And the IRS is not, I repeat, is not emailing anybody telling you they need your bank account routing information 
in order to deposit money in your account. What's actually happening, people that are falling for this within a very short period of time have whatever money they have in their accounts looted. Also, know that this is just one of the things that people are getting fake phone calls, fake emails. There's a warning from various states' attorneys general that Americans are getting phone calls and texts saying that your social security number is needed in order to pay you various money, particularly targeting senior citizens, because one of the issues involved with the stimulus funds, with the helicopter money, is that most Social Security recipients are eligible for it. So there's been a lot of talk about how would that money get to Social Security recipients. So that has led to a wide opening for criminals to exploit and con seniors that they have to cough up very personal information like Social Security numbers that criminals then use immediately to start engaging in various forms of identity theft. So know that nobody is going to contact you from Social Security or the feds trying to get your Social Security number from you. Nobody's going to need your checking account information to send money to you. You get any phone calls, texts, or emails, delete them. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.